Now, I'm about to show my age again, so I'll need to ask a question. How many of you have seen the musical Fiddler on the Roof? Quite a few of you. But amongst the younger ones, perhaps not. So, let me just set the scene of that musical. It's the story of a Jewish community in a small village in pre-revolutionary Russia. A poor milkman by the name of Tevier, determined to find good husbands for his five daughters, consults the traditional Jewish matchmaker, but also has a wee word with the Lord, hence the famous song, If I Were a Rich Man. The choices of his three eldest strong-willed daughters who want to marry for love are successively less palatable for Tevier. So when his third daughter, Hava, falls for a young man called Fiedka, who happens to be a Gentile or a non-Jew, marriage outside the Jewish faith is a line that Tevier will not cross. So he refuses to speak to Hava, and he instructs the rest of the family to consider her dead. Harsh? Certainly. But such was, and amongst some strictly orthodox Jews to this day, still is the relationship between Jew and non-Jew. It was like that in Old Testament times, and also in the time of Jesus as well. If you've watched the series The Chosen on YouTube or iPlayer, there's controversy about it. Some people love it. I love it. Some people think it's unscriptural. I think that's going too far. But you'll notice that even in Jesus' time, there is this conflict between Jew and Gentile. So as we continue the study of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, which Scott began, I think it's four Sundays ago now, what actual difference does Jesus make to life today? We may speak of B.C., and AD, but they refer to specific historical years. But in Bible times and today, what does it actually mean to know about things before Jesus and to experience things after Jesus? Well, I think that Ephesians will help us answer that question. So let's consider firstly how BC, before Christ, brought hopelessness. Now, we've already seen that amongst um, God's chosen people, before the time of Jesus, as well in times since, amongst those who choose not to accept Jesus as the Messiah, or the anointed one, or God's special king, there was great enmity between them. 
Jews regarded Gentiles as being so far away from God, so far away from his covenant or his agreement with his people, that they were derelict of hope, all hope. They were hopeless. They had no Messiah and no knowledge of God. And that's why, as Marilyn read to us in verse 12 from Ephesians 2, when Paul was addressing primarily non-Jews, but also Jews as well, in Ephesus, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the, the covenants of the promise, without hope, and without God in the world. Now, some people think that Ephesians was actually written by Paul as a general letter to the early church. And so, some people think that the original manuscripts were left blank so that you could write in the name of the particular Christian community to which it was addressed. Well, whether or not that is absolutely certain, I do not know. But what I do know is that Paul was addressing this situation between Jew and Gentile. And, of course, the enmity that it had existed between them. He was so keen to remind his audience of the difference that there had been between them prior to Jesus coming into the world. He actually even used the illustration of the Jewish temple. Now, in the temple... The first of the courts that you entered was known as the court of the Gentiles. It was for non-Jews. But between that court and the remaining courts in the temple was a huge wall or a balustrade. And no non-Jew could go beyond that wall on pain of death. There was no hope of reconciliation between the two groups unless a Gentile converted to Judaism. Around the world today, hopelessness is still rife, is it not? Think of the mess of our so-called Western civilization. When secular governments sideline sideline God, then chaos follows. Consider how in recent months, for example, the Scottish government has got itself into a fankel over the gender recognition bill. There are disputes between the UK government and unions resulting in many strikes. Instead of people talking, there's conflict. When that dreadful war in Ukraine that Rena mentioned earlier, still going on. Of course, that was courtesy of the Russian leadership. It's still raging. Where is the hope in that? There's also renewed aggression between Jew and Palestinian in modern Israel at the moment. The world COVID pandemic, of which all of us are only too well aware, has caused an epidemic of mental health issues. And of course, last week's earthquake 
in Turkey and Syria. Awful, beyond words. So it's no wonder many feel a sense of hopelessness and struggle to find an answer. But all of that is since Jesus came into the world, isn't it? So what difference does AD really make? Where is Jesus in all of this? And that brings me secondly to AD, the year of our Lord, literally in Latin, brings harmony. Does it? Well, it does. But for Jesus to make any difference, there must first be a before and after in our own lives. In other words, we need to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. As Paul regularly pointed out in all of his letters preserved in the New Testament, religion is about obeying a set of rules. Christianity, following Jesus, is about relationships. Firstly, our relationship with him, and then our relationship with one another. When I was a parish minister and doing funerals, people would, would often say, you know, if it was a, a person who I knew, I knew well, was a member of my church, but their family wasn't, they would say things like, well, I, oh, I'm not religious. Well, I love to say to them, well, actually, neither am I. I'm not religious either. And they would look at me as if I'd lost it. Well, maybe I have lost it. But I'm not religious. I'm a follower of Jesus. But that's nothing to do with religion. That's to do with relationships. Marilyn read to us in verse 14. For Jesus himself is our peace, who has made the two one, that's Jew and Gentile, and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility. Now that verse is central to the whole passage because it's Jesus who brings peace within ourselves and between one another as well. And as I'm sure as Scott has pointed out to you on countless occasions, the Hebrew word for peace, shalom, means so much more than peace and quiet. It's so much more than that sense of when the children go to bed at night and they're finally asleep and you think, ah. Shalom is a complete sense of well-being, physical, mental, and spiritual. All that Jesus did on the cross cancelled out this enmity between Jew and Gentile. So in New Testament times, when Paul was writing his letters, as the gospel began to spread throughout the Mediterranean lands, after Jesus' reckon, uh, resurrection and ascension, very quickly, Gentiles and Jews became followers of Jesus. He broke down the barriers that enabled them to be one in Christ. And that's why he used that imagery of Jesus as the cornerstone 
we've used those very words in our second hymn this morning, our second song. And the rest of us as living stones being built as part of his church, his real church, which is the people, not buildings, but the people who follow Jesus. So, all's well then today, is it, in the present day church? Well, two words would dispel that myth, presbytery plan. (laughs) Rena was praying about that as well. Eric's just fallen over with in a faint being the presbytery elder. Well, what's gone wrong? Why are there so many arguments? Well, to put it frankly, the moment any of us take our eyes off Jesus and a spirit-inspired desire to serve him and to serve one another as well, because remember, It's the vertical relationship with him and the horizontal relationship with one another. Take our eyes off him and it all goes wrong. We start doing our own thing instead of his thing. So how do we restore, even begin to bring harmony? Well, let me share a personal story with you. Now, despite my Scots blood, because both my parents came from Fife, and an English surname, it's a long story, but you should be able to pronounce it because there are two people, at least in this congregation, who share the same surname. Crossthwaite's rule okay. (laughs) I have a confession to make. I was born in England. Shock horror. And actually, all of my schooling was in England as well. But Scotland was always home. And in fact, since I turned 18, it has been my home. And believe me, that's not yesterday. Shortly after I went to Larbert East in 1995, after a Sunday morning service, I passed the church kitchen And I overheard one lady exclaiming loudly, Wheel, what do we want in the Sassanach as our minister for? (laughs) I didn't stop. I carried on by. And I wondered what I should do with that because I knew within my spirit I couldn't let it go. But I also knew that I couldn't be angry about it or I couldn't be hurt. So I waited. And sure enough, the opportunity came because some weeks later, I used it in Larbert East in a sermon as an illustration, as I'm doing so now. But that particular sermon was on Jesus' command to love one another as I have loved you. So I called out, lovingly, I believe, a lack of love in Larbert East. And said lady was present that morning, and she had the grace to look very red-faced. 
And actually, so did the other ladies who were in the kitchen with her, who never said anything. And I, ch- I didn't, obviously, I didn't name her. I just used it as a general illustration. And I challenged the congregation and myself to grow in love for Jesus and for one another. And we did. They with all their faults and me with all of mine. And my wife's here, so you can ask her about them because there's lots of them. Well, 26 years later, on my last Sunday before I retired, there was a lot of love, believe me. And there were a lot of tears as well. You see, after Jesus comes into our lives, it's his love that makes all the difference for ourselves and for our relationships with one another. So, it's all right, I'm coming to a conclusion, don't panic. B.C. and A.D., before and after Jesus. B.C. brought hopelessness. A.D. brings harmony. But the change has to begin with ourselves. And the work of the Holy Spirit within us, which in turn changes our relationships with one another. Yes, our relationships, even within the Church of Scotland, with neighboring churches and presbytery plans. Now, this is not a simplistic statement. This is not a naive ideal. I've been along far too far too long. I've been around the church far too long and around the houses and I've seen it and done it and I've heard the t-shirt, worn the t-shirt and heard everybody else's points of view. This is biblical truth. It's Christ-centered and it is spirit-driven. We are not responsible for the actions of others, but we are responsible for our own. After Jesus is in our lives, it is love that is the answer to all personal relationship problems. Now, I'd like to end with a quote from another of Paul's letters, this one to the Galatians. Let's have a look at it. It's Galatians 5.22, and I'm quoting from the Good News Bible. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So here's a challenge for all of us. Let's ask Jesus, which one of those fruit of the Spirit is most needing worked on in our lives? Now, if you're like me, you'll look at all nine and you'll think, well, I could do with a we work on all, of five, all nine of them, all nine of them. But that's not the challenge. The challenge is choose one, just one. Ask the Holy Spirit, the helper, to help you to discover together how you and he 
can produce more of that fruit in your lives. That's the challenge. And you will discover, I promise you, that he makes all the difference after Jesus comes into our lives. Amen.